SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. Leading the conversation. Welcome back. You're listening to Life Happens on uh, SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide, leading the conversation. Join the conversation at all times on uh, 0891 or SMS us on 41391. That SMS costing you a rent 50 or WhatsApp us on 061-410-4107. And remember, at all times, uh, we want to hear uh, the ordinary views of ordinary people. Make sure to pick up the phone and get in touch with us. It's Child Protection Week. Did you know that? The Constitution of South Africa has made children's rights a priority. Children have a right to be protected and nurtured. But are we really a society of people that protects children? Over 226 cases of child abuse have been reported at the Red Cross War Memorial Children's Hospital since January 2020. That's this year alone. The 226 cases, which range from January to May 15, are related to child abuse, child neglect, and child violence. Within the first 15 days of May alone, there have been 33 zero cases. Why are we a society of people that violates our children and how can we eradicate this disease and how can we make sure that we protect our children? So please join the conversation by calling or SMSing or WhatsApping us. We want to talk about Child Protection Week and uh, particularly the issues of uh, child abuse cases with Shahida Omar, uh, who is CEO of the Teddy Bear Foundation, which specializes in providing holistic services to children that have been abused, and also uh, Nezi Swadidi, who is researcher for the Children's Institute at the University of Cape Town. Uh, good afternoon, Shahida. Thank you so much for your time. Good afternoon to you and the listeners. Fantastic. And Nezi thank you so much also for your time, and good afternoon to you too. Hi. Okay. Hello to everybody. Okay. In the South African context, and we'll, we'll start with you, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Omar. In the South African context, do our children face a particularly unique challenge that relates to the violation of their safety and their rights? So I think uh, this is actually a global issue. We cannot just uh, focus on the South African context because we are one of the countries that has been subjected to gender-based violence and violence uh, of children. You know, one of them, we fall under the high-risk uh, countries. Uh, so maybe it is unique, but I want to say that this is widespread across the globe. And with COVID-19, that there are pre-existing conditions which has exacerbated and aggravated the circumstances which has subjected children to further traumatization and secondary victimization because of uh, unintended consequences, lack of consultation with civil society organizations and uh, between civil society and government. Okay. Neziswa, let's bring you in, especially in light of uh, COVID-19 and all of the many learnings we take from it every day. COVID, the, the lockdown is said to have resulted in an increase in child abuse cases in South Africa. Are we then correct to assume that the abuse is caused by people in close proximity of the children, whether they be family members or members of the communities that those children come from? Yes, we can assume that because, as we know from our research, 
um, that between 60 and 90 uh, perpetrators are are known, loved, and trusted adults of children. Um, So children do get um, abused by their parents, moms, dads, uncles, sisters, everybody. Um, Everybody that has access um, to children um, may actually um, violate them. Mm, mm. Even um, school staff, so so um, it can be anyway. Wow, wow. Okay, our perception, you know, uh, in our society, even with our cultural standing, why are we finding it difficult to protect our children? Why are we a nation that is so brutal to its children, especially when you consider our past? Because, uh, you know, the reason why the Bill of Rights, you know, put a special section on the rights of children is also very intrinsically linked to how children were treated by the system in the past, how uh, there was childhood detentions for political reasons. So our Bill of Rights made sure that these children are protected and yet it is the very society where they come from uh, with those Ubuntu cultural standings and things like that where we end up finding it difficult to protect them. Um, so um, we are at a country with a very bad um, with a very bad bad um, 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 <laughs> history. Um, so all the, those um, aromas um, do get transferred. Though we are we are um, decolonized now, but um, we are still very much um, enchained um, in our past. So um, so there are certain cultural practices as well, and certain beliefs and ideologies which still purpose the fashion and children are run um, at high risk of of being um, violated as well as be as um, being unable um, to, to speak up. Okay. Dr. Dr. Omar, I want to bring you in now because, you know, um, uh, the assumption is always around social political conditions. When we talk of child abuse and, uh, and, and violation, we think of, you know, lower income societies. Uh, is, is, is it an issue that runs across all communities in general and, and different financial standings? When you look at your statistics at the Teddy Bear Foundation, who is most vulnerable? So thank you for asking that question. I think we need to appreciate and recognize that, you know, a poverty creates conditions where children are at a higher risk. We're not saying that there's a direct correlation, but it does thrive and flourish under these conditions because of lack of access to resources. I think if we just look at our current situation with COVID-19, where basic lower order needs like food and shelter has become a huge challenge and, and uh, for many families. And if we just look at survival, that, that has become something that they have to deal with, where children have been abandoned at places of safety and other places of rescue, from babies to toddlers and even teenagers. You know, desperate uh, situations and circumstances calls for desperate measures. So coming to your question, that it does, it is pervasive across the population group and socioeconomic uh, uh, classes, but I think the ones 
that are most affected and, and that are disadvantaged are those that do not have any access to basic resources mm. like food and shelter. So it's all about survival and how that could contribute to them feeling helpless, hopeless, powerless, frustrations, growing frustrations, mm. and the dire need that they find themselves in, which co- could contribute to behaviors that are not conducive to uh, the well-being of children. Yeah. Uh, you know, I want you, uh, as uh, listeners, to join the conversation if uh, you are seeing more cases of child abuse in uh, the societies that you live in, or if, you know, uh, you know, it's come close and it has become personal to you, you can be anonymous. Please call us on our studio numbers 0891104207. And I want to stay just a little bit again with you, uh, 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 Dr. Omar, because uh, we spoke to uh, Nezis are from a research perspective about what COVID-19 has done for abuse. What have you found for the Teddy Bear Foundation uh, since COVID-19, you know, became a part of our existence in South Africa? What kind of numbers have you had? Have you been even able to tally the kind of numbers that uh, uh, relate specifically to the impact of child abuse and COVID-19? Most definitely. So if we just look at from the end of March to where we at, we've seen over 220 children who have been subjected to physical abuse, sexual abuse, children who have witnessed domestic violence in conflict setting, um, and, and children who have been subjected to co-occurrence of child abuse and domestic violence. Some of the children we've actually worked with are children that have presented with manifestations of depression, high levels of anxiety, uh, fear around death and dying, but also trauma that they've been exposed to within the home environment where they feel trapped, immobilized, and do not actually see a way out of that situation. So Mm. those are some of the patterns that have emerged and the referrals that we have seen. We've also seen... Uh, families where children have committed suicide hmm. and these the youngest was a 10 year old Wow. Uh, I, I heard you, uh, uh, Neziswa, uh, 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 sighing there when she spoke, when Dr. Omar spoke about, uh, you know, the impact that trauma within home environments has on children. Yeah. What does your research say about specifically trauma within home environments and how it impacts and presents itself to young children? Well, um when we, when when we are speaking of children, we need to understand that um, children are full um, of are fully um, are full beings. So we need to understand that, that they are feeling people. They they experience um, stresses, anxieties, and all of that. And and though they have their own experiences of that, um, they also assimilate um, those of their um, parents. So now um, children are, are, are impacted um, in two ways and two times um, with, with, with what they, they um, see at home and with what they are feeling in the, themselves. So now, because um, we are in a society where there is still a lot of um, patriarchies and, and, um, and um, 
and teachings that, that um, children are not supposed to, to um, speak about certain things, that they are only supposed to speak with when asked, children then tend to um, internalize that. So because they now don't have access to harassed people whom they would speak to when they had been not in isolation, all of that is now on them and there is hardly ever a space to let that out except to call the child line and so on. So they are very much um, um, impacted by this. Okay. Uh, I've been inviting people to call, uh, uh, ladies. Uh, so we have a caller in Bloemfontein. Uh, Puleng is our caller. Puleng, welcome to SAFM. Uh, yes. We are listening to you. What is your question? I don't actually have a question. I just want to comment mm-hmm. around this whole protection of the children's rights. It's my thinking, I have discovered that um, during this time where the children are not allowed to go to school and staying at home, and staying at home, the children are not being given the right to attend schools and they are being deprived of the opportunity for education. So I was thinking to myself that at the age of 14, the children have the capacity to act. They can act against their parents and say, parents, you deprived us of the opportunity to go to school. At the end of the year, when they fail, and those children that have been allowed to go to school throughout this time have passed, they will blame it on their parents. Children always have a way of maneuvering their ways and around the environment that they are in to find comfort. And parents are exposing their children to laziness and comfort. Listen, the government knows what it's doing. The government knows the dynamics around the COVID-19. So when the government says the children should go to school, they know what they are doing. So these parents who are depriving their children of the opportunity to go to school, they should see what they are falling themselves into. So that's just what I wanted to say. They are being deprived of their right to education in this case. Okay, thank you, Puleng. Thank you. Uh, 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 you, you know, that's a, a, an interesting one, uh, Dr. Omar, uh, that the lockdown has deprived children of opportunities to go to school. I want to ask you, Dr. Omar, because I'm assuming uh, in your uh, chair as uh, uh, the CEO of uh, the Teddy Bear Foundation, uh, there's a couple of child protection weeks that you have had to go through. And I want to find out, COVID-19 or not, uh, do awareness campaigns like the Child Protection Week assist in raising and even I dare say solving some of the issues that we face in relation to the treatment that we uh, meet out against the children that we're not protecting when it comes to uh, issues of violating their rights. Does it work? Does it work to every year at this time have a Child Protection Week? Does it leave a dent? Does it shift a mindset of a people? Is there any effectiveness to it? So I'm so glad you've asked that question, because if we go back to 1993 and we're now in 2020, what has changed in the lives of children? How safe, how much safer are children now than they were before? Uh, yes, children are more conscientized, more, uh, more aware of their rights, their responsibilities, and more aware of reporting platforms. But if we look at risk factors 
and the perpetration and violation uh, committed on children, it has increased and, and the, the pattern of violence has certainly been so severe where so many children have been murdered, brutalized, sexually assaulted, raped. So I think what you are raising is critical, that we actually need to put our ears to the ground, listen from the voices of children, and actually look around and say that putting money or budgets into Child Protection Week has actually not improved the situation. We need to look at other methods and means of ensuring the safety and protection of children. And child protection is not a weekly or an annual uh, event. It's every second, every minute, every hour, and every day. And Mm. it should be the responsibility of every individual out there to ensure the safety and protection of children. But we need to hear from children what would they like to see happen. I think that's where government and civil society have fallen short. We haven't engaged and dialogued with children because they are the experts in giving us solutions and mobilizing efforts to protect them. Okay. We have two callers. Uh, Colin in Cape Town, let's start with you. Um, good, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Welcome to, to SFM. I agree and disagree with your panel. Mm-hmm. On, on some points I agree and some points I disappear. Mm-hmm. Uh, dis- uh, disagree with mm-hmm. First of all, now, since 1994, so on, till now, has your child abuse gone down or is it getting worse? Now, I heard them talk about, uh, it's like inheritance from the past. We had reformed schools and things like that. And I know for a fact I listened to some time back, I think it was last year on your same radio station they were talking about, some of those school children, those students, those naughty boys and girls that went to reformed schools and so and so, they became successful people, you see? And uh, poverty is number one also. Overcrowding, living in a little, what, what we call today is like shacks and things like that. Uh, children start working on the adult's uh, brain. They irritate, and that's what happens. Now, the thing is this, children also, I, I walk down the road sometimes here, and I see little school chil- uh, 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 children, uh, street children, and they ping-pong playing machines on a, on a telemachine. And I said, hey, what are you up to? They look at me, they run away, they tell me to putzak and things like that. Little six, Ooh, seven, eight-year-olds. You must year watch old. your language. Uh, you must watch your <laughs> language, Colin. But thank now you. I'm just I think saying, no, no, that, mm. that word, putzak. No, it's like You just repeated it, Colin. Oh, uh, sorry, sorry. Okay, it's not, <laughs> it's not a swear word. <laughs> okay, I'm listening to you. Uh, I think we lost Colin, actually. Uh, so let's take another caller, Barbara in Nisna, and then uh, the panel can respond. Hello, Barbara. Welcome to SAFM. And can we watch um, our language, please? <laughs> uh, good afternoon. Um, I just wanted to tell you, um, I belong to a group of ladies, and um, we make teddy bears for the Friends of Child Protection in Cape Town. Mm-hmm. And um, they need something like 900 teddies every three months. Uh-huh. And we just carry on knitting these teddies. They're very specific. You know, they have to have a scarf and they have to be a certain size. And what they do is they take these little teddies 
and they, they make <clears throat> like a comfort pack for the child. Mm-hmm. You know, they put in a game and a sweetie and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. And um, my friend normally sends them down by courier to Cape Town. And she said on this occasion, she, she was going to Cape Town herself and she wanted to meet the lady <clears throat> who started this organization. And she came, I said, how was it? She said it was absolutely heartbreaking. She said they had a row of trestle tables and they were labeled babies up to two years, toddlers, boys, girls, different age groups. And these women apparently meet every six weeks and they sort out these bears into these different packs. And she said round the walls, there were labels with the different towns, Oatshorn, Beaufort West, Nasna, wherever, 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 where mm-hmm. all these packs went to. Mm-hmm. She said it was absolutely heartbreaking. And the volume, it, it, it was just just too much. Yeah. Thank you for your call, Barbara. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I, I suppose, ladies, let, let's round it off because I think, uh, uh, and you can comment on uh, any of uh, our callers' comments uh, as we round off. Uh, you made a poignant point, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Omar, about the impact, uh, the positive impact, if at all, of Child Protection Weekend. And you very poignantly alluded to the fact that in the same way women don't need 16 days, uh, we don't need a week. We need every single day, every single moment uh, uh, to protect our children. And and government and, and civil society needs to do a lot more for the protection of children. As we round off our conversation, what do you want to see marked differently, done very differently, and that you, in the work that you have done, have intrinsically noticed that if we were to try that, we would be a lot more impactful in you know uh, protecting our children better. Thank you for that. So I just want to say we know this is an unprecedented crisis and it has uh, presented many risks to the rights and safety and development of our children. And those risks can only be mitigated through unprecedented international solidarity for children and humanity. We have to work together to make progress. So when I say we have to make to work together, it's government, it's civil society, it's your faith-based organizations, it's on different levels. Every government department needs to come to the party uh, on different fronts where we need to provide information, solidarity and action. We have a chance to not only defeat this pandemic, but to transform the way we nurture and how we invest in our children. And we need to give our children a platform because if we do not act now and we do not uh, take firm decisions, we're going to find that there's going to be long-term implications of post-COVID-2020. The COVID-19 impact will uh, result in many mental health disorders, uh, you know, a whole change in how people relate to each other. And of course, if we look at the uh, element of criminality, could certainly be also of a pandemic nature. Yeah. Unfortunately, our time has left us, ladies, but I thank you both very much uh, for your contributions. And uh, we were trying to unpack the issue of Child Protection Week and whether or not it changes the lives of the children whose lives are violated on the daily in South Africa. That was Dr. Shahida Omar, CEO of the Teddy Bear Foundation. We also had uh, Nessie Zwatiti, researcher for the Children's Institute at the University of Cape Town. Time has gone with us and... It's two o'clock now. It's time for the latest news on SAFM with Utsile Saku.